we are in the final episode of God's Wealth. We've been taking um, eight weeks to do a deep dive into the ancient wisdom of the Bible regarding money and possessions and uh, happiness. And what we've learned is that Jesus himself says a ton about money. He teaches us directly about money, but also uh, kind of teaches indirectly about money in that he frames a lot of his teachings using financial terminology, which indicates to us the mind of God, the importance of understanding uh, how God wants us to think about and use our money. So week one, we started off with this idea, just give you a quick recap. Uh, And these are all on iTunes podcast. They're all on our YouTube channel. If any of these are really relevant to you, I'd encourage you to go back and review them. Um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people during this series. I think money is is one of the areas we can struggle with so much in our culture. And uh, the Bible has so much help for us. God has so much help for us uh, in this this regard. But the week one, we looked at growing income. Like what's a biblical way, if you're not earning enough money, what's a biblical approach to actually increasing your income? Uh, Then uh, week two, we looked at finding contentment. And then week three, we looked at eliminating debt. And that's a huge problem for a lot of people. We're in a debt-saturated culture. Lots of helpful insight in terms of how can I increase my ability to actually pay off uh, my debt. And then we looked at week four, we looked at how to do a budget, which uh, is not a very sexy topic, but I I dressed it up as much as I could. And uh, it it was the best sermon I've ever done, I think, actually. Then uh, week five, we looked at uh, growing that heart of generosity. Then week six, we looked at the idea of tithing, about bringing that full tithe into the storehouse, uh, uh, giving that 10% to ministry and how God blesses us uh, in that process of doing that. Then last week, we looked at week seven, we looked at invest wisely. And um, again, not something I was nervous about doing that that sermon, but I had lots of great feedback about it. So I'm glad that it's uh, really helping people. And then today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 through 30, and we're looking at enjoy rewards, enjoy rewards. And you might say, Matt, what is all this about? Are we going to be looking at using our credit card points, our hard-earned credit card points to book a trip to Cancun? Is that the kind of enjoying reward? I mean, that is one way, literally, to enjoy rewards, but not talking about that today. I want to paint a picture and give us a vision of how we can enjoy the good things that God blesses us with in this life. What's a right way, a Christian way to think about that? But more than that, to be thinking about deferring things into eternity and and having the right perspective about the eternal rewards, the eternal blessings that God has in store for us. I think this subject matter is greatly misunderstood by Christians. So we're going to get into it today so that we can have God's vision for our lives. Let's pray and then let's read. Jesus, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you've been helping us through this series. And I pray today, again, you would do a deep work in our hearts, that we would really value your truth and that we would really submit ourselves to your truth, following your word, and that we would be filled with joy, that we would be full of joy because we're trusting you with our money and our possessions, that we're following you, we're following your ways, and we're seeing the blessing in our lives because of that. And Lord, I pray that for anyone that doesn't know you today, show them the way. Show them the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's read here. Matthew 19, starting in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel 
to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, how then can, uh, sorry, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is God's word. Right before this passage, there was a situation where a rich young man approached Jesus and he's asking him, hey, how do I you know, inherit eternal life? How do I follow God? How do I know the, the way? Or basically, I, I've done lots of good things. Have I done enough, essentially? You know, we all have these questions like, what's, you know, how do I guarantee my position in the afterlife? Or what is the meaning of life? All these kind of questions we have. And this young rich man is asking these questions. And Jesus invites him to become one of his disciples. Jesus says, well, come and be one of my disciples and sell all of your possessions in the process of doing that. And sell, sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And this rich young man is not able to do it. He has so much stuff and he's in love with his stuff and he just can't give it up. He can't release it and he leaves very sorrowful. And then as a response to that, Jesus then uses it as a teachable moment and talks about the great difficulty, the extraordinary difficulty for wealthy people to follow Jesus. And he paints this dramatic, almost ludicrous illustration of this, Jesus picks a camel, which is a very large creature, and says this camel, it's, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of like, like a, a sewing needle or a knitting needle or any kind of needle that has an eye in it. You might have a few variations in the size of that, but not a lot. It's a very small little space. It would be easier for a camel to squeeze their way through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to follow God. That's just how difficult it is. Jesus is saying it's really, really uber, super hard for wealthy people to follow him. Now, some people have suggested that at the wall of Jerusalem, there was a gap in the wall, and it was called the eye of the needle, and that for, for someone to ride their camel through it, the camel had to duck down or like had to crunch, scrunch in to like get through this narrow gap, and that, that was what Jesus was referring to. But Unfortunately, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. So I don't know where that comes from. That some, sometimes things in Christianity can kind of start off one place and then it gets spread around. That happens a lot. But unfortunately, there's no evidence of that. And even if that was a thing, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying it's slightly inconvenient if you're rich. It's just a little, it's mildly difficult. You've got you to crouch down a little bit, but you can do it. That's not what he said at all. I mean, he literally is giving us an illustration that is impossible. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, as we looked at money during this whole series, 
we've learned that money is morally neutral. It's not inherently good or evil. It's kind of how we use it that determines whether or not it produces good or bad. But what we do learn from Jesus here, and we learn it from other places in the Bible too, is that money is a huge liability. That money can have enormous power over the human heart, which is why Jesus says it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. And that the Bible's remedy, the great remedy to not being enslaved by money and controlled by money is to be open-handed with it, is to give it away. To, to that, that Christian impulse to say, I want to be generous with it. It's not what God blesses me with is not all for me. Some of it's for me because God knows I have needs, but he's given it to me so that I can be generous with it. That's a big uh, remedy to the, the, the power that money can have over us. Because if we had the wrong mindset of money, then it can be easy to falsely or wrongly assume that, well, money gives me security, have a false sense of security. Or money, if, if we have the wrong mindset about money, it can make us more arrogant or more self-centered or think that we're better than other people. If we have more money than other people, we're, aren't we better than them? Money can weaken our morals. Money can make us more selfish. Money can cause us to mistreat other people. Money has destroyed marriages and it's destroyed friendships. Money has been used to corrupt judges and politicians. Money can make us blind to the needs of others. Money can be extraordinarily dangerous to us. And Jesus is saying that it is impossible. It is impossible if it's up to you, if it's up to the human heart, it is impossible. The more money you get, the less chance you have of actually following God. But he also gives us hope because he says what is impossible with you is possible with God. So here's the hope is if you have a relationship with God and the stronger that relationship with God is, the power of money is broken. The power of money is broken. Now, the disciples were astonished at Jesus' teaching here. And in part, they're astonished because for a Jewish person in the first century, at the time of Jesus, 2,000-ish years ago, they would have had in their mind, because God had a habit of this throughout the Old Testament, which is what they would have been used to, of promising blessing through financial provision. So especially, you know, the Israelites inheriting the promised land, God's promising them it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Even the book of Job, if you know the story of Job, great catastrophe, bad things happen, but at the end, man, it gets back more than he had before. There's, there's a history here of God saying, one of the ways I bless is through provision. And so now they're hearing Jesus saying, well, actually, it's, you know, if you've got the more wealth you have, the less likely you are to follow God. They're scratching their heads thinking, uh, this doesn't add up. This sounds like the opposite. But there's a nuance here, and there's, uh, as there is with all things in life. This is the hardest thing for, for a lot of human beings is to understand nuance. The nuance here is that two things can be true at the same time. That God wants to provide for us. That God wants to bless us. And that because he loves us, sometimes he blesses us extravagantly. That that can happen. And there's nothing inherently wrong with having more. That those things can be completely true. It can also be completely true that money is the greatest threat to our souls. That is also absolutely completely true. If you want, think about people that, that, that win the lottery. Isn't there some crazy lottery amount out there right now that's like some, isn't it like, like in the billions or something? Or It's some crazy, I just heard that the news report of that this morning. There's some crazy amount. And it actually made me wonder, maybe I should go buy a, a lottery ticket. Um, but then when you think about people that win the lottery, 
it usually destroys their life. Usually people end up way worse off in the long run because people don't know how to use money. They just spend it lavishly, go crazy with it, end up, it destroys their friendships, destroys their relationships, and they end up in, worse, in a worse place. They end up with debt in the end because they, they don't know how to control this, this force of money in their lives. If you wanted to destroy somebody's life and corrupt their life, I mean, one way to do it would be just to give them a bunch of money. Say, so, here you go. It's going to destroy your relationships and you're going to be worse off in the long run. And just watch it unravel. Watch somebody's life unravel. The issue is the desire. The issue is our desire. How do we think about money? How do we relate to money? If we crave money, if we want money, if we think that money is going to solve our problems, we think that if I just have a little bit more money, just get some of that more money, that's going to... It's going, to, it's going to make this problem go away. I, I, I can be less anxious about the future. I've got firmer plans about things. If I just get a little bit more money, if our hope's in that, we are in for a world of hurt. We're in for a world of hurt if we just think that money's going to solve these problems. But on the other hand, if we're grateful for what we receive, we're grateful for the wealth that comes into our life, for the money that comes into our life, we, we thank God for it, for the, all the little things and the big things, whatever they, they might be, we're, we're grateful for it and we use it in wise ways and we can be open-handed with it, then its grip is broken, its power is broken in our lives. Let me give you a kind of a, a, a way to illustrate this. Let's imagine that I use my family's, my family's up the front here with me, let's say I use our family's money to enrich myself. So let's just say, I would never do this of course, but let's just say I go on a spending spree and I just buy all the luxurious things I want, anything I want, I just use our fam family's funds just to enrich myself and bless myself and just I'm, just, I'm taking it from them and just using it for myself. Now, that's going to be really bad for me, just in my own soul and my own mind, my own psyche. That's going to be really destructive for me, but that's going to destroy my family, my relationship with my family. They're, they're not going to respect me. They're going to resent me. They're going to, this guy is being a complete loser, right? But let's say, on the other hand, let's say I'm wise with our family's money and we're careful with it and intentional with it and um, that we use it in a good way. And that, that Let's say our family blesses each other, that we, we're generous towards each other and we share that. And we, it's, in both situations, I'm going to be enriched in both situations. Right? The first situation, that's a toxic way to do it. That's, I'm gonna be, but I'm, I'm going to be in spiritual poverty in that first way. But the second way, I'm going to actually have spiritual wealth, but I'm still going to be enriched as well because we're receiving and giving of each other, right? Let's just imagine it was my birthday and I'm just spending all my money on myself, being selfish in that way, which it is my birthday on Wednesday, actually. So just thought I'd mention that. I'm looking forward to being, looking forward to being 25. And um, if anyone wants to bless me with a gift, you're welcome to do that. Next, that's, such a, that's a good next step on the Connect card uh, this week we could do. <laughs> but in, in, the, in the situation where you're in loving relationships, generous relationships, you're, you're still being enriched because you're giving and receiving. And so, but you're, you're, you're in spiritual wealth by doing that. And this is a real adjustment in our, in our thinking. This is a real adjustment for the disciples in their thinking. In verse 27, Peter replies like this, um, Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, like, actually, money's really bad. You should never have any, you're never going to get anything good in life. You shouldn't enjoy anything. No indulgences, no pleasures, nothing. 
because it's evil. It's going to take you off track. So Peter's like, well, we've given up everything. Like, what are we going to get? And this reveals something. Peter's question, it's driven by an, the the foundation of it is an an inbuilt incentive within him, which is human nature designed by God. It reveals that to us. What's in it for us, Jesus? We've given up everything for you. Is there anything in it for us? Now, Jesus does not condemn him for this question. Jesus does not correct him. We might think, classic Peter, what a moron. This guy is always screwing things up. He's so embarrassing. He must, Jesus must just be so embarrassed constantly with Peter, always messing it up. He's cutting people's ear off and you know, saying all kind of terrible things. Anyway, so Peter's always messing things up, but not in this moment. We might think this is materialistic. This is self-centered. This is, this is uh, you know, immature somehow, but Jesus doesn't, doesn't think of it that way. In fact, what does Jesus say in response? Verse 28 and 29, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, that's God's gonna recreate the heavens and the earth. There's gonna be a future new kingdom, that's heaven. So in the new world, which is gonna be a lot more like the, this reality than we realize, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne you will have, uh, sorry, you, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 twi- tribes of Israel. Twibes? <laughs> tribes. Sometimes I, I don't know how to talk properly. <laughs> and everyone, <laughs> that was a good one, twibes, twibes. I need a t-shirt that says twibes. <laughs> the great thing about moments like this is that this is the only thing someone remembers from the sermon. Remember the time you said twibes? Like, what was the point of the sermon? I forgot. <laughs> Don't love money, people. That's the point of the sermon. All right. Verse 29. And everyone uh, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus does not say to Peter, Peter, you idiot, you fool, you just need to be happy with me. I, don't you realize I'm the greatest prize? I mean, of course that's true. Of course he's not saying, he's not saying that that's not true. Of course, it's, the Bible says over and over again, of course God's the greatest thing we need. That's the greatest thing. Of course, that, but Jesus reveals something amazing. It's not just our relationship with God we get. We get the blessings of God. We get Jesus plus rewards. Jesus plus all the cool stuff that Jesus wants to bless us with. You, they can't, if you're going to have a real relationship with somebody, you're always going to have both of those things. You're going to have the relationship itself, but then you're going to have the interactions and the, the possessions and the, the, the moments and the things that surround and encircle the relationship. Oh, Jesus says, you're going to get all that too. This is amazing. This, this reveals to us how God has, God has hardwired us to be driven by rewards, to be driven by incentives. It's natural and good. In fact, we might think that the, the, this desire for things comes, us, comes from our fallen sinful nature, doesn't it? No. If you think about it, the first two people that God made, they couldn't have even been tempted away from God if it hadn't have been for this inbuilt desire that God had given them for things. God's put longings in our hearts, desire for things in our hearts. We are desirous creatures. We long for more. We long for good things. We long for great things. We long to be useful. We long to experience pleasure and happiness and joy. God's made us that way, and it was that way before sin and evil entered the world, and that was exploited in us 
But it's not wrong that we would be that way. To want good outcomes, to want a blessing, to want to be prosperous, to want to experience pleasure, to want to have possessions, even to want to have power. Especially the power to shape our own lives, but also, also the desire, I would say, even it goes this far, the desire to have power in the world to use righteousness and to bring about justice, a good outcome for lots of other people, even to that desire to have the power of doing that, that's all just the good nature that God has given us. Of course, it can be exploited and twisted. But that's part of how God has designed us from the very beginning of creation. It's a universal human experience to be driven by rewards. Business people work for bonuses, don't they? Schools constantly are using incentives towards to get students to do certain things. Managers, a good manager, understands the importance of an incentive structure. What do parents do with their kids? Bribe them with sugar all the time. That may not be the best way to do it. There's other better rewards, but you understand the, the principle at work. It is not unspiritual to desire rewards, to have the incentive of receiving a gift from the one you love because of what the gift represents about the relationship and what it says about the relationship and the heart behind the relationship. If we say, well, we should only do things because it's the right thing to do, that's the only reason we should do it, we're actually denying the teachings of Jesus. We should do things because they're the right thing to do. But there's added incentive to us that Jesus is saying, I'm going to bless you beyond all of that as well. Yes, the relationship is the most important thing, but God has made us seekers of experience. There's amazing, joyful things. In, there are great experiences in life, aren't there? I know it's a tainted world. I know it's a fallen world. I know there can be great tragedy and great turmoil, but there's some really amazing... There's still, this world still has that shine to it of, of its original creation, you can still have these glimpses, these moments of purity and goodness that we're seeking experiences. We're seeking even position, even, even in, in social status. We're seeking a position. It's, in, it's important to us that we have a certain social standing and that, that's actually a reward to, be, to have a good reputation, to be thought of well by others, to be recognized. By that, that, that's, a, that's, an, that's a good thing that God's made it that way, to have possessions, to use those possessions and to enjoy and to engage in those possessions. That's a good thing. The Apostle Paul, if you, if you read his stuff, you know, he wrote a lot of the, the New Testament, he's constantly talking about being motivated by eternal rewards over and over and over again, over again. If we don't have this mindset of eternal rewards and are actually pleasure-driven creatures, and that's not a bad thing, it can be used badly, but inherently it's not a bad thing. If we don't understand that, then we're going to be tempted to only do good things to people who can repay us. Because it can be very disappointing to have the expectation that I'm going to do something good for someone, but I would like for them to appreciate that or return that to me. If our hope is in getting recognition from people and being blessed back by people, we're going to be really disappointed. But if our, if our hope is in, actually, I'm going to get recognized by God. God's not going to let any of my works ever go to waste. He's going to remember every single good work and good thing I've ever done, and he's going to bless it for eternity. That's, that, then, then you can do, you can bless anyone in any situation knowing that's the outcome. If it's not that way, then it's actually really hard. Actually, we can be driven by, we can be very resentful 
if we get this the wrong way around, if we don't get the, the idea of eternal rewards quite right, we can be driven by resentment because we say, well, I've done all these good things for these people and what have they done for me? I literally had somebody say this to me once and I thought, wow, that's, that's a killer expectation. How can we, how can we have, how, how can we not hold things against people if we don't have this idea in our minds that God is the one that rewards us, that he's the one that's gonna bless us. Jesus, I mean, Jesus actually says it's outrageous. He directly tells us to love people so that we'll get a great reward. There's something in our mind that thinks that's wrong, isn't there? He says it in Luke 6, verse 35. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Yeah, that's, I could end right there, actually. Right, Jesus is saying, love, I mean, not just love anyone, love your enemy, love, love the people that hate you, you know, you know, pray for those who persecute you, all, all that stuff. And if you do that, you're gonna be rewarded for it. It's astonishing, if we ignore this, if we deny this, if we say, no, I, I'm only going to do what's right, not for any selfish motive. We're, we're, we're going directly against what Jesus has, how Jesus has told us how it works. God will reward the Christian who helps the person in need. God will reward the Christian who is pure, who remains pure in the face of temptation. God will reward the Christian who is faithful to their spouse. God will reward the Christian who cares for those with special needs. God will reward the Christian who is honest in their work. God will reward the Christian parents who provide for and protect their children. God will, he will reward Christians who tithe. God will reward Christians who are open-handed and generous with what they have. He will reward Christians who love their enemies. Now, this incentive, this reward-driven nature that God has given us, of course it can be twisted. The forces of darkness want to latch onto this desire and want us to be selfish and accumulate things for ourselves and just use them to serve our own pleasures. And we know God's given us a conscience, plus we have the Holy Spirit, so we've got like a double whammy there. You've got your own conscience, plus the Holy Spirit, to let us know, wait a second, the blessings I've received, I've wandered into, I've deviated into using them. I've fallen for the, the temptation that the forces of darkness want to tempt me into to just use them to enrich myself, to be selfish with them. Because you know there's a kind of a gross feeling that you have when you're doing that. You can kill that feeling, but, but by God's grace, hopefully we can get back to that place. But then the forces of good in our life want to teach us to not grat gratify all of the desires we have in this life, but to delay those desires, to say, actually, if we're generous now, if we give away now, we'll get more rewards later on. So Christians, we don't give away money because we hate money. We don't say, oh, that money is so evil. Just gotta get rid of it all, so evil. We don't do that, we actually, we're already smart. We actually realize in heaven, I'm gonna get more money. I'm gonna get an eternal currency. So if I give away money now, I am one of the smartest people that exists because I'm gonna get way more when I'm there. See, we don't deny ourselves now of things now because we just are gluttons for punishment, because we're just like, we just love to suffer. 
Just bring on all the suffering. We will suffer for Jesus. We know that. We don't intentionally bring it on ourselves, but we know we will suffer like Christ suffered. We know that. But we don't just choose to suffer just because we love to suffer. We're like, yeah, just beat me up and let me feel pain and misery because I love feeling that way. We deny ourselves now because we know that in denying ourselves now, we'll get even more later on. God wants us to be satisfied. He wants us to be more than satisfied. He wants us to be gratified, to be filled up with a relationship with Him, to know the love of God, the joy of God, the, the connection with God, but then also to receive the good things that God wants to bless us with. Because isn't it the gifts that we give in the relationship, the closest relationship, relationships we have, when we give gifts to each other, that's a symbol, it's a token, it's an expression of, I know you, I know what you like and what you want, and I want you to enjoy this thing. That, that, that thing takes like a, a big second place to, or a small second place to the relationship. The relationship's the primary thing, but that takes a, an important part of it. Now, it can be tainted, right? It can be tainted where we get tempted to just use it for ourselves. And the person who, it's, it's actually kind of ironic to think about it like this. We really can't handle in this life, like Jesus is saying, it's, it's harder for, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to follow him. We really can't handle in this life a lot of wealth. It has that much power. But a mature person, a person with God's strength, and only God's strength, who gets to the place where they're like, they, they see possessions for what they're for. They see the rightful place they can take. They see that, hey, I can have some joy in that. But also I need to be open-handed with it and generous with it. The kind of person that gets to that place who is mature enough to understand that and see that, they're the kind of person that then stops actually seeking for great wealth and stops seeking for, to be enriched in, in that way. And then, therefore, they're the exact person that should be entrusted with great wealth. Aren't they? It'd be way better for people like that to, to be given wealth in order to use it properly, wisely, than for people who are just going to be really destructive with the wealth that they receive. God doesn't want to destroy our desires and destroy the pleasures that we have in our hearts. He wants to guide them. He wants to guide them in the most important way so they can find their greatest expression and, and greatest experience in him. Jesus says in these verses, he says you'll receive a hundredfold. If you defer in this life, if you sacrifice in this life, if you deny yourself in this life, if you're generous in this life, if you live with an open hand and, though, and money does, does not have power over you, you're going to receive a hundredfold. He says you will receive a hundredfold. That is a 10,000% interest rate. That is ludicrous. Have you ever heard of a payout like that before? I mean, it is over the top. It is that this communicates God's heart to us. You can make a very small investment. God's like, ha ha, 10,000% interest rate. We'd be crazy not to take advantage of that. There's, there's nothing in this world that can offer any repayment, any payback that's that extravagant, that, that is that big. And of course, there's lots of good works we can do. And of course, the eternal rewards that God says he's going to bless us with, you know, in general, the idea of eternal life and heaven, it can be hard for us to, to get our minds around because we're finite creatures and we have a beginning, in this life, we kind of have a beginning and an end, you know, and it's, it's hard for us to imagine, you know, people can think, well, heaven, heaven could be boring or you're just sitting around in diapers playing harps all the time or, you know, 
we can have these, these strange ideas of, of heaven, but what, what we've got to understand is this, that if, if, God, if it's a place that God makes, and it's a place where God dwells, and we're going to be with Him, and it's full of great rewards that God's going to bless us with and give to us based on what we do in this life, it's going to be amazing. Just because we can't imagine it doesn't mean we shouldn't allow our hearts to be filled with awe and wonder and joy about, I can't wait to see what it's like. I can't wait to experience it. It's going to be so good for us. There are some indications. I mean, a couple of things that, that, that they could be illustrations. It may not be the exact thing, but we're told that some rewards are receiving leadership positions. So it even says that in this passage, you're going to you know, be on thron- enthroned. And there are other places where it, it says you're, you're going to maybe you know, get different crowns, and which would be actually another indication of ruling, that you're, you're in charge of things. You're, you've got responsibility over things. In, in heaven. And it's hard for us to imagine that. What, what will the heavenly society be like? How will we interact? What will our relationships be like? What, what will happen? There'll be rhythms to it. There'll be things to it. I don't, I don't, it's, you know, the edges of our imagination, no matter how much we imagine it, it's still going to be beyond our imagination. It's, it's going to be surprising and exciting. So we don't, are the crowns literal? Are we going to literally have crowns? I don't know. I mean, they better be really good. I mean, they will be really good. They'll be like, hey, this is, this is what I wanted. But it could be figurative. It could be, you know, maybe you're going to, God's just going to give you some great, you know, great house. You know, the dream house you always wanted. You're going to get it. Maybe you'll get like a pet dragon. <laughs> I like that one. I was thinking about it the other day. Like, I was just imagining walking around a little, like a, like a dog dragon. <laughs> That'd be really unexpected. Wouldn't that be really unexpected? Nice Start praying for that. Start doing all those good works. I need my, my dragon dog in heaven. <laughs> Maybe you'll get an eternal supply of ice cream. Or if you're, if you're an artist, you get an infinite amount of canvases you can paint on. Or what? I don't know. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I know it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. It's, it, we're going to have 10,000 exit in heaven with the good works we do now. Now, also understand this. The Bible tells us that we don't all get the same stuff in heaven. We are going to enjoy it, but it's not all going to be the same. It's based on what we do here in this life. Now, think about it like this. If you had a collection of jars of different shapes and sizes, but imagine every jar you have is filled up. Maybe they've got different things in them, different items in them or you know, different supplies in them, whatever, but they're all filled up. Maybe that's what heaven's like. But yeah, we're all different shapes and sizes. We're all a bit different. We've got different capacities, but we're all going to be full. There won't be a sense of comparison of like, well, that person's got a bit more than me. Be like, no, I'm full. I'm satisfied. I'm glad for what they have too. That, maybe that's a way how it's going to work. The way we get those rewards is in the sacrifices we make now. And the bigger the sacrifices we make now, the bigger the rewards we get there. In verse 29, he does say like you give up houses, which could mean just your, your family house or literally a house or give up land. or So there's this idea of giving up possessions in this life or being generous in this life. That, yes, that's true. But he also says, those who have given up brothers and sisters and father and mother and children. It's very significant that Jesus says this because this is something that can have a big grip on our hearts in a wrong way. He's not saying to ignore our responsibilities to our family members. We still have a responsibility to those we're related to. To, to be there for them if they need us. We still have that responsibility, of course. Notice in the list it doesn't say spouse. 
So you can't use that as a phony excuse to leave a marriage you're not happy with. There are legitimate reasons for divorce, but you can't be like, well, Jesus said, you know, I'll be blessed in heaven if I, you know, give up my, my family relationships. Like, well, no, he didn't include spouse in that, so you can't apply that there. The covenant of, of being married is, should be unbreakable, which is very sad when it is broken, of course. What, is, what does Jesus say? He's, he's teaching that if, if you place your family, these family relationships, if, if, they, if they carry the wrong place in your heart, then they can have two effects on you, a couple of different effects. One is, if your family rejects Jesus, and they reject your faith, what will you do in that situation? Will you say, I'm going to have to lay down this relationship for my faith in Christ because my family has rejected Jesus. So some people will lose their family relationships because the family has rejected Jesus. That's definitely one way that it can happen. The other way it can happen is, maybe there's a few other ways, but there's one other main way that comes to mind is that God sometimes calls us to live somewhere else to our families. And if our family is, becomes kind of an idol to us, it's something that determines the decisions we should make in our lives rather than God determining the decisions we can make in our lives, then what we'll do is we'll end up, the power of, of, the, of those family ties will be so strong in our lives that we're actually going to lose out on the rewards in eternity. Let me caution anyone who, because some people are happy to walk away from their families, right? Some people are like, I'm out of here. All kind of different reasons for that. But not everyone. Some people have very strong bonds with their families. And a caution to somebody who might be tempted to say, might, whether it's a brother or a sister or a father or a mother or even your own children, to say that the bond I have with those relationships, if that determines things in my life, when actually things in my life should only be determined by God, if that determines the desires that we have, the longings that we have, what I've seen over the years, I've seen people that are driven by that kind of idolatry always end up with long-term regret because either, either it's their family might maybe, maybe manipulating them in different ways and they can't say no to it, they don't know how to respond to it, or it may not even be that, it may be just the longing of their own heart. The, and Jesus is saying that the more we're willing to actually lay down these family ties, the greater the blessing will be in eternity in heaven. The reality is that the cravings we have for a perfect life now never, never come true. I've seen people over the years have long-term regret because they put their family in that kind of idolatrous place. And that can be, that can be very, and you only notice that years later, we say, man, I was driven by these motives and I didn't realize I was longing for something else. So, the longing we have for family in this life is actually a misplaced desire for that heavenly family that we're going to be with, with God and all our brothers and sisters in Christ forever. It's a misplaced, because in this life we're saying, I want, you know, it's, it's strange to me to hear Christians talking about having a dream home. It's a very worldly way to look at things in this life. Like that's, that's heaven's our home. Or a dream, I can have the dream location, the best location to live, Really? typically found that reality doesn't match our cravings and then we're still dissatisfied and then all the longings we have, we haven't figured out, oh, oh, they're only satisfied. If I, if I defer here, it's going to be satisfied there. The dream life is an illusion. 
It's an illusion. We've got to question. If those family connections have such a strong pull in our hearts, we've got to question, is my allegiance too strong? Do I need to be willing to lay the, that down in order to follow God? We also need to understand in light of that, that our eternal rewards are not secure. They can be lost. This is very sobering to think about. Our eternal rewards can be lost. Even the New Testament indicates to us that some Christians at the return of Christ will be ashamed. Now that's hard to imagine. But some Christians will be ashamed. I don't think that shame will last. I don't think that will be someone's experience forever. But I think there will be a, se- a moment or a season of regret. The Bible indicates this, that Somebody can build their life up. If you build your life with precious metals and precious things that can survive the fire, then that'll be, those will be your rewards forever. But if you build your life with wood and straw and things that really have no, value, no lasting value to them, they'll be burned up. And so our soul may enter heaven. We may be safe there, but the things we accumulated can be lost. How sobering is that? It's motivating you, you, by doing good, you can gain more. That's great. That's motivating, right? If I do, if I do the good works of God, I'm going to be blessed. It's going to buy a 10,000% interest rate. But it's also very sobering to think, I could lose all the things I have accumulated if I start being self-centered, if I start allowing that family pull to pull me in a certain direction, if I start enriching myself with certain things, start going down a different pathway, I can lose just like I could lose an investment in this life. If you've invested in Amazon or Disney recently, you would have lost money. In the same way, we can lose the eternal rewards. It's a sobering thought. Now, let's be really clear. Thank God. Thank God there's a difference between our salvation and then the rewards that we have for the good works we do. Salvation is a gift based on faith, based on the faith that we place in the grace of Jesus, in the sacrifice of Jesus. That's not a work. It's not something that we can earn. It's, we, we trust it. We trust that he has done it. That's secure. That is secure. Be, that's, that should give us joy. But our good works and the rewards we get for our good works, that's built upon, that's built upon the foundation of Jesus, but they can't, they're insecure. They can be lost. Either way, the salvation we have or the rewards we have, the foundation is Jesus. You need Jesus for either one. You have to have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, then you don't have any of that stuff. You have to have Jesus. Jesus is the foundation to it all. Some Christians may realize, some of us may be thinking, you know, I, I do believe in Jesus, but I'm off track. I'm not really. We, we, I heard a testimony this weekend of somebody who was reading about the life of Jesus and realizing Jesus' heart to serve the poor and care for the needy. And they said, I haven't done a single thing for the needy in a decade. That's a powerful statement. They realized, I haven't done one single thing for somebody in need for 10 years. Wow, what a shock. The foundation is Jesus. Once you start looking at Jesus, once you start worshiping Jesus, start following Jesus, your heart melts. You put your trust in him and you realize you're motivated. You've got this incentive. He's going to reward me for everything I do. Let's respond. Let's fill our hearts with the joy of serving Jesus, of turning to Jesus. When you like and subscribe, this video reaches more people.